there are times where coaches are not allowing that skill to be learnt properly. There's a whole mix of emotions that are going on and thoughts that gymnasts are having when they are experiencing lost move syndrome and none of them are positive. The gymnasts don't want it to happen to them and when it does, we need to be empathetic. It's not only a psychologically complex situation, it's a socially complex situation as well. Welcome to the Gymnastics Growth Show. My name is Nick Ruddock, a performance gymnastics coach providing world-class education, events and consultancy services to the international gymnastics and professional sports community. This podcast is dedicated to optimising athlete and coach performance from grassroots to gold standard. Stay tuned to discover tactics and strategies designed to transform results for you and your athletes. Welcome to episode 19 of the Gymnastics Growth Show, where we're back with sports scientist Katie Richards for part two of a two-part series on psychology. And in this episode, we'll be discussing loss move syndrome and the difference between it and choking. We'll be also discussing whether loss move syndrome is contagious or not, and if so, whether we should isolate an athlete from their teammates. In addition to that, we'll also discuss how the language we use while coaching has an effect on the athletes, the importance of repetition in the learning process and neurology, the effect that psychological stress and external factors can have on performance, and of course, a lot more. Part one was a big hit with this audience, and I've got no doubt this one will be also, with Katie speaking about some really thought-provoking content. If you enjoyed this podcast or any of the other podcasts, I'd appreciate you spreading the word by sharing it on social media channels or hopping over to Apple Podcasts and Anchor and leaving a positive review. Here's episode 19. Okay, so as promised, we are back with uh, Katie Richards. Katie, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. And uh, as, as always, it's such, a, such an honour to, to work with you and have you, you know, contributing to the, the podcast. The last one we did was episode 15. Um, I have to say that was a massive hit. I've had such amazing feedback from that uh, episode, which was great. So um, excited to do this one, as promised, the part two to that. Um, and just to recap for people listening, on the last episode, on episode 15, you mentioned that the three main areas that you spend the majority of your time in were surrounding uh, motivation and goal setting. Um, loss move syndrome and blocks and the kind of related topics to that and uh, around mindfulness and the expectation of emotion so those tend to be like the three areas that you spend the majority of your time in obviously there's things that don't quite fall into those categories but that's where most of it's spent so um, if it's okay with you I wanted to dig into loss move syndrome and blocks today is that all right? Yes yeah, certainly. We know it's a it's a big topic that comes up a lot or I should say it's a big challenge for coaches and, and I'm sure well, obviously, this is your line of work. So you'll obviously get approached from clubs that have athletes that are struggling with their skills. Perhaps it's um, a fear of performing the skill or they just simply won't be able to do it. And and certainly on my travels, I get asked a question a lot as well. So I just thought we should start um, kicking off by talking about this. You know, lost move syndrome is a um, is obviously the formal phrase. But what exactly does lost move syndrome mean? Because lost moves and blocks could be interpreted as, as different things. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the loss move syndrome in research, you're completely right, you know, that that has its defined term, um, can also be called lost skill syndrome as well. But I think mo- most of the time, you know, in gymnastics and coaching, we use blocks, loss move interchangeably. I think, you know, just un- there is there are some things that we need to be cautious about when we when we're talking about it and when we're defining it, which will probably come up as, as we go along. But, you know, what is it it's it's when we see a gymnast 
go for a skill um, and they either kind of suddenly end up doing another skill or they bail out halfway through. Um, and, you know, that that sometimes can can be the start of a block or the start of lost move syndrome. Um, you know, there, it can also be that something goes wrong. So say, for example, if a gymnast is on bars and the hand placement is wrong or or something slips um, and they do something incorrect with technique that could then lead to a, a block but I think in terms of, of what it is it's when a gymnast struggles to do a skill um, and it may be that they will go for the skill but end up either not being able to complete it fully or, or not actually going for it at all or they start at the you know they stand there in the corner and and just won't even be able to physically go for it so it can it can either come out in the middle of a a routine in the middle of a combination you know and they're they've got the the will to try and go for that skill in that combination and and then they end up either not doing the full skill so you know if if we're talking about a, a gymnast twisting they'll do the somersault but they won't do the twist um or we see them going not even going for the somersault and actually you know which obviously carries a lot of risk um if they end up bailing out of something halfway through or we see them not even attempting the combination because of the twist and the end of that somersault so you can see it in lots of different places um within gymnastics because of the nature of of the the combination aspect okay so just coming back to the twisting because another scenario is that they are supposed to be doing a double twist but they end up doing uh, a triple or actually it's probably more yeah. more appropriate to say they're supposed to do a full twist and they end up doing a double is is that would that still be categorized as lost moves or is that just a skill acquisition problem yeah well i think it depends on whether they were um where they are in the in the learning phase so if they're learning to do a full twist and they're doing a double i wouldn't class that as lost move because they haven't learned that skill um, you know, it, it, I think that it, it, that would be something that we would, like you say, just categorise as being an issue within skill acquisition. Um, you know, how it's managed is is something that we need to look at because it could eventually become something similar to lost move where they can then never do it. But it would be for me for you to categorise something as lost move, they need to have, they need to have acquired that skill and and had it for a, a period of time before you can start calling it that. Okay, that makes sense. They've they've learned the skill, they've performed it normally over a period of time, and and then of course the, the yes. symptoms, if you like, tend to tend to start. That that's what you would categorise as lost moves. Yes. Okay, and it's important, I guess, to understand that it's not through a lack of desire from the athlete. They no. they want to deep down, they really want to perform this skill, but for whatever yeah. reason, they're not. And that's what makes it worse a lot of the time, you know, and, and, you know, we'll probably, I know we'll talk specifically about, well, what causes it, but that's, you know, one of the, one of the sim- or one of the reasons that it can stay for as long as it does. Um, and, and that the gymnast can suffer with lost move syndrome for as long as they do, because they put so much pressure on themselves because they want, they want it back. There's a, there's a whole mix of emotions that are going on and thoughts that gymnasts are having when they are experiencing lost move syndrome and none of them are positive you know and, and all they want is they want it back so badly and they want to be able to do it so badly because they're, they're you know they're really intelligent um I think sometimes we don't give them enough credit they're, they're very intelligent in terms of they know the impacts that this is having to their gymnastics um so yeah it's not it's definitely not because they don't want it um it might be because they're fearful of it and they're fearful of what might come next 
but that doesn't mean they don't want it. It's just, you know, fear of, of the unknown. Yeah. And, and it's a really grey area, isn't it, with regards to um, research? I mean, no one's, no one's really cracked this, have they, in terms of, you know, being able to prescribe a solution or being able to um, share the research which demonstrates exactly why this happens. Am I, am I right in saying it's quite a grey area still? Yeah, you're completely correct. Yeah, there's, there's, there's really limited research in the area, which makes... Um, you know, for, for myself and obviously for coaches with gymnasts um, suffering with lost move, it even more difficult because, um, you know, the, the, the reason for the sparse research, uh, if you like, is that it's really hard to research something um, that it, it is still not really clearly defined. You know, so like we, we said at the beginning, kind of, well, well what is it? It, it it could have it could be this and it, it could be that you know it because it's not been defined very well yet it's difficult to research it's also difficult because you can only research it from the point of um somebody having it so you can't ever really research um what caused it um or you can only research what's caused it through asking people to recall things which obviously we know people um we're not always aware of what we're thinking all of the time um and we're not always thinking oh I'm, I might be asked what I was thinking about um at this point in time so I'll, I'll I'll make a conscious effort to remember you know we just we go through life but through the flow in the in the moment without really considering it so then when we're asked well what were you thinking at that time most of the time people are like, I, I don't know I can't remember so it makes it very difficult for researchers to actually pinpoint what causes it and why you know so a lot of the time you know the the research that has been done it will just give a list of these are all the things it could be <laughs> and and so that's what makes it it really difficult so yeah it's definitely got a gray area um in in terms of uh you know what's causing it and i think um i remember hearing that uh, lost moves of course is not just a gymnastics thing it can happen in a number of different sports and i think one of the most surprising to me was archery yes that yeah. um, you know these these coaches were saying that in archery, the um, the athlete, the sportsman, would literally have a have a, a block or um, not just physically not be able to let go. Mm. Um, and I, and I, just, I just thought that's remarkable. You know, all, all you got to do is let go of the arrow. But again, <laughs> obviously to them, it's um, it's it's not that simple. You know, we we would think, okay, I've got to do a backflip on a beam. Like I can I can resonate with how scary that would be. Not because I've done it, but I mean, let's be honest, it's it's not exactly the easiest thing to do. Um, and the fear part of it is obvious. But then letting go of a of an arrow, I think, or when you're you know when you're using the bow, or, um, that to me doesn't seem like it carries much fear to it but would that but that's even more interesting because then maybe it's not even associated with fear mm. i mean archery is really complex because then they're, they're not only uh you know thinking about releasing uh with the with the bow but it's the um the timing they're obviously trying to do it um kind of between heartbeats etc so it, it's complex in 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 that way and and it may not be fear but it might again be pressure you know to um, you know, meet expectation, except yeah, fear so of failure as opposed to self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it and and, it, and it's also quite prevalent in golf. So they call it the yips in golf, um, where they they're unable to uh, actually swing uh, the golf club. So the, you know, it, yeah, it is it is something that in any sport or any um, skill which we maybe class as a closed skill that has a real uh, definitive start and an end is where we see things like lost move happening, but. The problem is as well is that, you know, we you kind of can cross over into the concept of choking under pressure. Um, and that's and that's why 
having things defined clearly is really important because choking is not the same. If somebody in competition suddenly, um, you know, makes a glaring error in in a skill and a glaring error in gymnastics might be doing something wrong or bailing it out, that doesn't mean they've got lost move syndrome. That could potentially mean that they've choked under pressure. And actually, they do the, these two things do kind of closely relate the two topics. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's prevalent in a lot of sports that have those kind of clear definitions of beginning and end of skills. Yeah, and I guess we've got to be really careful not to label things. Um, and you know, c- certainly with the athlete, being very careful about the language that we're using, because yeah. I mean, even words like lost moves, blocks, um, choking. I mean, if you just listen to them, they're all they all just sound like really harsh negative words. They do. And if you say that to an athlete, oh, like you've got a block on this, and well, we all know the power of language and the power of the conscious and subconscious mind. And I think if you're telling an athlete something over and over again then they're going to start believing it. And it, it might yeah. even be the case that they didn't have a block in the first place, but now they do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know? It's always that one when you when you ask somebody, are you nervous? Yeah. You know, I wasn't until you mentioned that. Yeah. Maybe, should I be? And yeah, you're completely right. The more, uh, um, you know, we talked last time about the, the power that coaches have over gymnasts, you know, whether they like it or not, you know, you, there's, you know, we're so, um, we can influence the, the gymnast so much and, and in the way that they think. And if you, you're constantly labelling something, then eventually they will um, you know, start to believe that and, and confirm that. And then there's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They get to that skill. They're like, oh, well, I can't do this. You know, my coach told me I've got a block on this. I've got a block on this. You know? um, so, yeah, you're completely right. The, the labelling of, um, of these uh, situations and these things, that is, we have to be very careful you know, in our minds we might be labelling them, but actually how we talk about them to the gymnasts is, is very different. So I would avoid um, using the term loss move or, or block uh, at all uh, with the gymnasts, you know, especially when something's maybe just happened over a couple of sessions. You know, so there, there is there is some guidance in the research. And obviously, it's only guidance because there's not been a lot done on it. But if something happens um, and you know, that the, the gymnast is able to get back up on their feet and, and do it again with no problems, um, kind of less than 72 hours. I would just kind of class that as a bit of like a critical incident that I would be uh, mindful of as a coach, you know, and and be paying attention to uh, maybe over the kind of next month in training. But we wouldn't talk that much about it. You know, if they've if they've bailed out on something a couple of times and then maybe through a little bit of maybe support or changing the situation the setup and through a bit of kind of coaching um they've got it back we wouldn't talk about that again yeah. um you know and and it would just be noted you know so that maybe if it happens again it's like okay right this is recurring why is it recurring um if it continues to happen kind of over the course of a month so up to 30 days um again i still wouldn't be making a big deal of it you know, we'd just be trying different ways of, of working around it. Um, and and I wouldn't be labelling it at all. Once it gets kind of past 30 days, I might be having a conversation with them, but I'd be avoiding using those words. You know, it's just like we're, we're having some we're having some issues with this skill. We, you know, we're I think it's just being objective about what's going on, not giving it a label. Um, and it's at that point that you might need to try and apply some kind of intervention um, which like we talked about before um, in in episode 15 you know there are lots of times where coaches can give adequate psychological support to their gymnasts throughout that's what they do day in day out um, but it's maybe 
once a gymnast has been struggling for about a month with something, that's where I'd then be looking to get uh, a sports psychologist in. Yeah. Okay. So the important thing there for me that I'm hearing is um, don't blow things out of proportion because you can escalate a situation to, to being something that it's not. Um, but then just be conscious and aware of the fact that if it's a recurring incident, obviously it, it needs some uh, interventions or some management, basically. Um, yeah. And then some more serious interventions if, it, if it's prolonged. So that, that all sounds great. So now for me, I've traveled, as you know, and I'm in, a, I'm in hundreds or I've been into thousands of clubs. I've definitely seen a correlation between the number of clubs that have these challenges with their athletes and their level of physical and technical preparation. Okay, so the higher performing clubs have a far lower rate of lost moves slash blocks or and, and, and these challenges. Uh, and, and those that are, um, you know, kids that are underprepared physically, underprepared technically, the coaches are less experienced. They seem to be a lot more prevalent in those situations. Yeah, yeah. What does you said? You said the research kind of suggests that there's um, a few different things that it could be. What, what's your kind of perspective on this? Or what does the research say that, that could lead to this? Like, is it is it a single event that takes place always? Or could it be something else? Yeah, well, I mean, if we focus in on the example that you've just given there about you know, that maybe uh, kind of particular clubs, you maybe see it being more prevalent. What I would probably put that down to is um, kind of the skill acquisition process. So how that gymnast has learned that skill. Um, so if you think, uh, you know, and, and, and this is just one of the potential reasons. Um, I'll also cover the, the other ones as well. But when a gymnast is learning a skill, there is potentially uh, pressure. Um, you know, like you said, maybe if the coach is a little bit uh, less experienced, that coach is going to, especially if maybe this gymnast is the first skill to first gymnast to be learning this skill in the club, there'll be pressure to move on quickly. I think we, I think a lot, and I'm sure lots of coaches can um, agree with this. They never feel, we never feel like we've got enough time in the gym with the gymnasts. We never feel like we've got the equipment for as long as we can. Um, you know, as, as soon as you've, you've done a bit of preparation, competition's looming, they need particular skills for particular levels. There is pressure to progress quickly with everything. Um, we want skills yesterday. So as soon as a gymnast has, demonstrated a small amount of mastery on a progression we make the progression more difficult um as soon as they demonstrate mastery on that we move them on to the next on to the next on to the next and we're constantly just moving them on to the more challenging progression and and skill and so uh, which is which is correct that's how you develop a skill but it may be that there are times where coaches are not allowing that skill to be learnt properly so you know they're not allowing them enough repetitions they're not embedding that skill in they're not ensuring that that gymnast can um, do that skill in different scenarios in different situations with different cognitive load um, you know that right okay you've done a straight back we've been doing a straight back for a, a couple of weeks now we're going to learn twist you know, and, and actually that to us seems really simple. Well, it's just a straight back and, and with a different arm action, you know, that we sometimes we, we'd like to choose when skills are hard or not. So, you know, quite often and we and we often do that. We try and downplay the complexity of skills to gymnasts, I think, to try and make them feel more confident about it and to not make a big deal out of it. 
But actually, you know, there, there's a dark side to that where we're maybe not giving skills the respect they deserve and we're not giving the learning process the respect it deserves. So we're not allowing things to, if you like, be overlearnt. That's one of the strategies that um, that has been shown in the research with with things such as loss mood syndrome and uh, and choking and, and making things robust under pressure is actually ensuring things are overlearnt. And, and that's something that I would really support for the skills that I would class as the base skills. So, you know, for a somersault, for a straight somersault, that should be an overlearned skill because we're then going to be adding to it. So you need that base skill to be really robust. Um, you know, so it's it's just kind of considering where do we actually need to spend more time. But I think the problem is, is that in those clubs that you've given an example as is, you know, the, the coaches are less experienced. So, and, you know, they get, we get excited, don't we? As soon as somebody learns something, we're like, right, okay, you know, the nature of gymnastics is now what are we going to do to that? What are we going to, how are we going to make it harder? What are we going to move on to? So we're always moving the goalposts. Um, but actually, you know, we should be spending time considering how many repetitions have they done? And I, I couldn't possibly give a guide of how many repetitions somebody should do. But for me, a, what I would class as a, a prolonged period of time is, is somebody taking a skill to competition or to a similar um, kind of cognitive load as, as competition so even a control comp, comp or a pressurizing situation and and letting them perform that in in that position before you start then making it harder um, but I think you know but obviously depending on where a gymnast is in their uh, their learning of their gymnastics they might not have um, you know the opportunity to do that you know we're having to learn a somersault and a twisting somersault all in one go to make get you ready for a particular event um so I think just coaches getting keen they're trying to move them on too quickly there's also um if it's been a bit of a a slow and difficult slog to get a skill so uh, you know I've I've spoken to coaches before and because of the setups in their gym you know they'll say to me that sometimes they only go to you know they train five days a week but they only go to bars once or twice which baffles me because, you know, if a gymnast trying to learn giants, they should be doing giants every day that they're in the gym. Um, you know, because if we think about how neural pathways are developed, they're only developed if you're actually doing the skill and using the neural pathway. Um, and, and coaches that I've spoken to before, I, I kind of liken neural pathways to fields. If you stand in a field, um, you can see the paths that have been walked on a lot. They're well trodden. There's actually no grass on them. It's just it's just mud. And then if you glance maybe to the side, you'll see uh, what looks like a pathway. Maybe a couple of people have walked down there. Um, and if you if you think of neural pathways and skills, those ones that have been trodden day in, day out, that are practiced all the time, those are really well-developed neural pathways. And, and those are the skills that gymnasts probably won't have issues with. It's those ones where, you know, oh, we'll, we'll try some giants today. And, and really, in reality, you spend about, 10 minutes you know you might be on bars for 40 minutes but the actual time they spend doing it is probably less than 10 around everything else and the waiting time um and then and then they don't touch that skill again for another week well of, of course they're gonna struggle to get that skill and of course it's going to take a long time and those are the skills that research is suggesting that also will be more likely um to come up against lost move syndrome with because they're just it's a slow difficult clunky journey to getting that skill yeah 
Yeah, I, I really like that um, field analogy. I think that's a really smart way of, of thinking about it. And I've, I've always said that um, frequency is more important than total volume. Because mm. people talk, I mean, I, I have this conversation more with regards to physical preparation, but it's exactly the same concept for technical. Um, a lot of coaches will have core conditioning on their program, but they might just do it once a week for 30 minutes. I'm thinking, you know, I'd rather you did 10, 10 minutes three times a week than you did one block of 30. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing. It might be a physical preparation exercise, but it's still everything goes through the brain, you know, and, and the, the body and the, um, you know, the central nervous system. So um, I really like that. That's, that's great. And I think um, what you'd mentioned there about the skill acquisition, you've seen my skill development pyramid. I know that you've, you've seen that at one of my events before. Um, I talk about the fourth layer being consolidation. Mm. Uh, and obviously, if you skip the consolidation phase, then not only will that skill be less stable in competition, but um, you, you, you can't build upon it for, for future development as well. And the, the, the kind of way of thinking here is the difference between building a pyramid and building a Jenga tower. <laughs> because with a Jenga tower, if you've not built the foundations first, um, the higher you are, the higher up you go with the skill development, obviously the more unstable it becomes. And and when you pull out the blocks from underneath, which could be uh, an incident, it could be um, through injury or growth, but basically it's just making the whole tower is going to implode at some point. So um, for me, for a skill to be called consolidated, it means that that athlete can perform that skill almost 10 times out of 10 successfully. Mm. And I say almost because we are human. So, yeah. so on some days, 10 out of 10 might be realistic, whereas other, other days it might not. But, um, but, you know, pretty much 10 out of 10 in any environment under any level of pressure. And that's really what we're looking for um, before we can class a skill as being truly consolidated. In my eyes, that's just my perspective. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I mean, obviously, you know, when we're talking specifically about lost move syndrome, you know, it, it, for me, it's not even whether they're successful as in, you know, they stick the skill on beam or, you know, it's that they go for it and they do the skill and they... And, it, you know, the, the technical competence is there. The, the variation, you know, that, that we might have had a bent knee or a flexed foot, that to me is not the same as, as um, you know, kind of skill acquisition in its truest form in terms of the neural pathway. Artistry and execution are quite often uh, something that gymnasts have to be conscious about and they have to be reminded about you know they are human they're, they're trying to do a lot of complex things um i i you know from a from a sports psych perspective i want to see that they can go for it 10 times out of 10 in complex um situations um you know the refinement stuff like that you're talking about there you know is 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 important for everything else um but when it comes to lost move it's that that thing of will they can they go for it and do what they're supposed to do um but yeah you're completely right you know you call it consolidation i i would call it, 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 it like we call it practice don't we um you know it's it's practicing and practicing and refining things until it's it's consolidated so um i think the other the other thing to note as well is that sometimes uh we neglect the multi-sensory experience of a skill so especially and especially if um you know we ourselves haven't done the skill as coaches, or it was a very long time since we did the skill. And, you know, you don't have to have been an ex-gymnast to be a fantastic coach, but we should really be um, exploring that multi-sensory experience with the gymnast. So what does it feel like from a kinesthetic uh, experience? What does it feel like um, internally? What can they hear? You know, so something like tumble, you know, the rhythm in tumble, the rhythm in vault, you know, can they hear that? Are they aware of that stuff? Um, what can they see? You know, is it all just a blur or actually can they see something in particular? So getting the gymnast to actually engage in that multi-sensory experience just makes that skill even more robust as well. 
um, and 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 also means that we'd then be able to use something like imagery uh, to support that skill development, or in you know the, the case of experiencing lost move, we'd be able to use imagery to help them try and re- rebuild that neural pathway again. That's an interesting point. That's a I mean, that's a whole another conversation, isn't it? The, 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 the visionary. That's a, okay. Right. Let's not dive down that one. Mate, you, you've just booked yourself into a part three, Katie Richards. I have to say. Um, <laughs> right. Can I throw a scenario at you? Yes. And then we can talk about the best or most appropriate way or or a appropriate way of of dealing with this situation. Yeah. So the scenario is that you've got a um, a twelve year old gymnast, um, and basically she all of a sudden just doesn't want to do her. Um, or no, that's the wrong use of language. Sorry. She does want to do it, but she won't, she's not able to do her backflick on beam, her back, yeah. uh, her acrobatic series. So what are the considerations first of all, and, and how would you go about kind of dealing with that situation? Yeah. So I think, you know, this is, is this is a, a good time to consider the other things that maybe lead to, you know, this situation, be that lost move or, or block. So one of my questions would be, first of all, like, right. Okay. Is this gymnast experiencing any psychological stress at the moment? So, you know, the the most obvious one, it might be that they are up on the beam, which obviously, um, you know, if if you haven't been up on a beam recently, I think you should get up on one and, and start to consider what it's like because being up on a beam you know the change in um kind of visual cues and and obviously the fact that you're you're up off the floor and that brings the fear i think you know we need to just consider that there is an element of there's there's change for them from a visual perspective but also there's the fear but you know is is are they experiencing any psychological stress from the situation have i maybe created some level of stress as a coach we need to always recognize and always you know reflect on what's what's our doing in this situation you know we are accountable as well so have I pushed them to get on the high beam maybe too early you know they weren't they looked uneasy on the low beam but I kind of I'm you know maybe I'm testing them to see how they'll do but what psychological stress are they under? Where do they sit in the in the gym hierarchy within the gymnasts? You know, are they is there potential that they are feeling pressure because has everybody else got this skill and and they haven't? Um, is there a competition looming? What what's the parent situation like? So you do have to do that kind of analysis of what kind of psychological stress might they be under right at this point in time, um, and. And I think be a little bit more empathetic. Like sometimes I think we just go, ah, oh, you know, they they they've just got to get over that, <laughs> you know, instead of actually considering what what's going on. Um, it may be that you know there isn't any psychological stress, or, or there's nothing more different than there was last week. So maybe the next question is, okay, has something happened today? You know, have they experienced? Has something happened to them today? Not in the gym. Could have been out of the gym. A lot of the time, you know, gymnasts will say to me, there's, there's, they're having some issues at school or mum and dad are having some issues. You know, it, it's, it's, we need to be considerate about what else is going on in their life because as much as we try and get them to leave those things at the door, they don't. You know, I, I talk about the emotional rucksack that gymnasts walk around the gym with. They might come in with a rucksack and they take it off, but they've taken off their emotional rucksack you know, all the baggage that they've, they've got. And we've all got it. We've all, we're all dragging around. Mine's know, very big. It's hurting yeah. my back. 
case loads of it. You know? I've had to stick mine on a wheelie suitcase. But you know, it's, it, and and as, and if we can recognise like what we bring to those situations, so I have that. And, and you know, I'm going to use the word trauma. Now, obviously, when we when we say the word trauma, we often think of you know very bad things happening. But you know, to to a gymnast, just you know, being told that they're going to miss out on a a party can be traumatic. You know, so we just need to ex- explore the the things that are going on right now. The other thing would be, has, have they seen somebody hurt themselves? So I call it vicarious experience. So have they seen somebody, uh, you know, slip, miss their hand during a flick, hurt themselves, smash their shin on the beam, you know, and, and land in a heap on the floor? And and how was that also managed in the gym, in the culture? So was the coach just like, oh, get back up, you're fine, you know, or was the coach empathetic? You know, how was it? How was it managed? Because it's not just about the fear of pain; it's then the fear of potentially, you know, being um, humiliated that they've made a mistake, and then how the coach has reacted to that. So, thinking of that, I think, um, and then also just maybe considering how good this gymnast coping strategies are. So are they quite robust? Are they quite resilient and gritty? Or actually, are they quite fragile and and, um, demonstrating instability? So I would do an assessment of that. Um, And I wouldn't be during this, I wouldn't be leaving them standing up on the beam doing the whole, you know, thigh rubbing, palms, sweating, looking like they're going to go for it, get them down, you know, that that's humiliating in itself, because everybody can see it. Um, you know, and and trying not to, you know, standing there being like one, two, three, go. Okay, again, one. You know, we 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 need to get them down and just have a chat to them. I think in the initial, I would just ask them, you know, those questions like, you know, is there anything going on? You know, what's gone on today? You know, and it, and a lot of the time you'll get the the shoulders raised to the ears because they don't know, and I think sometimes we expect them to know. So if they won't go for something, we ask them why won't you go for it? Like they've got the answer, <laughs> and and they they don't know. You know, they they don't know. They and or they might know, but they don't know how to verbalise it. So I think it's about having a brief chat with them. But I wouldn't spend too long on the initial. If this is you know, if this is literally the situation is just happening today. I would give them a couple of goes to see if they'll do it. I'll give them a bit of coaching. Then I'd get them down and just have a chat with them. And I would ensure that I'm using kind of neutral language, that my body, like thinking about my body language, my facial expressions, you know, I don't want to cause more stress. You know, I don't want them to then worry about this situation next time. Um, And, you know, and then it's that thing of, right, okay, well, you know, where would you feel comfortable doing it? Give them a bit of choice. That's one of the things that I think, you know, let them gain a bit of control back. So ask them where they'd feel comfortable doing it. Um, and, you know, be prepared that it might annoy you because they say the floor beam. <laughs> um, but for that moment, give them the control, give them the power, you know, and and, and let them have a go and, and ask them about what their journey looks like to get back onto that beam. So I ask them, OK, look, you've got all of these this equipment here, especially beams, a great one. They understand the concept of beam. You start on the floor and you build it up. You know, so, okay, well, where would you, what does your journey look like? How many do you need to do on that low beam until you feel ready to move there? How many do you need to do there and with support until you feel ready? Because then they're in control. So if they say, okay, I need to do five with support and then I'm happy to um, to go on my own, 
you know, that's them then deciding. So you say, okay, like you, you count the five and, and, you know, on the sixth, then it, it's you. And most of the time I find that works is, is giving the gymnast the control again over that, that progression. Um, obviously it's difficult because for you as a coach, you want them on the high beam. You want them doing it on the high beam consistently. Um, but I think it's just being prepared that actually they're going to have to potentially regress to go forwards in the long run. Um, and maybe maybe it is our fault. Maybe we did move them on too quickly because for us, we we often, especially with beam, we just say, well, it's just a flick. It's just a flick. You know, if you can do it on the floor, you can do it on the beam. That's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we try and do that to try and like normalize the fact that if you can do it on the floor, you can do it on the beam. And we try and reduce the fear and anxiety. But I think sometimes we overdo that. And actually, we don't consider the complexity there. But so I would just I would give them the control, but but hold them to that or try to hold them to that. You know, so if a gymnast says, I'm going to do 10 on uh, this medium beam here, or can I have can I have a pad on for 10? OK, but will you then be ready to go on bare beam and, and having that serious conversation that, OK, you are committing to this. You've I've given you the choice. You know, you've said you want to do 10, but number 11 is going to be on bare beam. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, no, I'll be happy with that. And and most of the time, you know, when you give them that control, that autonomy, you know, they they then they know that they've made that that agreement with themselves. And and most of the time it does, but I think it's one of the key things is not rushing it. So if you do regret that if they do regress, and obviously we use that word, we wouldn't use that word with them, but if you are gonna take them back. Sometimes, again, similar to the example I gave you with the skill acquisition going too quickly, we tend to do it again. So if a gymnast has been struggling with their flick on beam and they and they won't go for it um, and we take them down to a lower beam, we kind of do this thing where we're like, right, OK, go and do some on the low beam. OK, right. That's one. Right. Back up then. <laughs> and we, yeah. you know, we think by doing one or two that they'll be fine again. And I think we need to just consider that, that actually – they're not going to be just fine from doing two. You need to keep them down there and do what you what you discussed that consolidation. Consolidate it down there. Um, one of the other tactics is is you know saying to them right, you move on when you tell me you're ready. I'm going to keep you down there until you tell me that you you like. Please let me move on now. Like I want to move on now. Please, you know they need they just need to drive it. And some coaches don't like that because you're giving the power to them. <laughs> I think it's it. it you, imagine the battle you're going to have if you just have them stood up on that beam. You know, just stood up there. One wasting their time. You know, because they're not doing anything, wasting your time because you're having to intervene. They're taking up time on a beam where maybe another gymnast could be up there doing something. You start to, you know, coach athlete relationship starts to go because they don't like you because you're making them do something that they don't want to do. And it's not that, you know, like you said, she does want to do it, but equally, she doesn't want to do it. There is something stopping them. Um, and I think so that my, my first my first thing would be talk to them, regress them give them some autonomy and choice in how they progress that within within you know the parameters of, of what you can do um and if that then doesn't work that would then mean that I'd be having a longer conversation really trying to unpick some of that stuff so what is it about the flick you know are you concerned about anything try not to put words in their mouth are you are you are you anxious are you scared do you think you're going to hurt yourself you know they you're 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 giving them the answers then that they will then just say whatever they 
they think you want them to say. Whereas you just need to try and be like use open questions, try and get them to explore what they're thinking, how they're feeling, um, you know, what is it about the flick that concerns them, um, and and again, maybe that's where you then look at the the journey. One of the other things is just not doing them for a little while, not too long, so that the neural pathway completely you know goes. But if it's beam, they're usually doing that skill elsewhere in the gym, on on floor, or in their basics. So they're not going to potentially lose that that skill um but they they will lose the adaptation of how to do it on on beam but sometimes just avoiding it for a few sessions and again not making a big deal of it um but if it still carries on that one of my things that I do find is that coaches leave it too long to get in touch with somebody that could help so you know a a coach might a, a gymnast might be having an issue with a skill and they say oh can you have a chat to this person they're having an issue with this skill and I say yeah how long has it been going on oh a couple of years <laughs> and and that that makes it really really difficult because that has then become part of a belief system as well you know I can't do this skill I've never been able to do this skill so that's one of my my kind of I guess pleased to, to coaches is that you know if if a gymnast if you tried things over the course of a month and it's still not working, get somebody in that can give some real specific intervention and time because that's what it needs. It needs time. And and you haven't got that as a coach. You haven't got that time to spend spend with one-on-one with a gymnast um, when you've got a group of eight plus in front of you. So um, yeah, just because that is, is more likely to be overcome. Um, but it can it can be overcome. You know, I know there are plenty of high performance gymnasts who will be able to admit that they've had issues with the skill. And actually, I don't think it ever goes away. It's about management. But the, the quicker you can get it to go away, the less likely it is to be needed to be managed. But if a skill's been, um, you know, if an, if an athlete or a gymnast has been having an issue with a skill for, you know, six plus months, that to me is when that skill will just always need management because I don't think you'll ever get rid of the lost move syndrome. I think the, um, the the approach that you mentioned there, which is of, you said, neutral language, showing empathy, uh, allowing the athlete to kind of drive it. It's probably, I would imagine that's quite a different way of dealing with it than what most clubs would do. Um, more through panic than anything else. Yeah. You know, like, like, oh God, this gymnast is, why won't you do it? We've got a competition in two weeks. And then, of course, the coach becomes impatient. They might lose their temper and, and that's at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's emotional intelligence, probably through the fear for the coach, like the coach's fear for love. Well, if she doesn't do this, then she can't do the competition. If she can't do the competition, that's going to have a consequences to me or the club. And, um, but I would definitely imagine there is some element of, of panic, which creates a sense of urgency. And of course, urgency with an, with an athlete who's scared of something or won't do something is going to create further anxiety, which just makes the whole situation worse, doesn't it? Totally. You're totally right. It is it is panic because, you know, like you know, I've 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 just sat and and, and said that, you know, it's hard to define, you don't know when it's gonna come, it's really difficult to deal with. So of course when it happens, coaches coaches don't go, Oh yes, I know exactly what to do about this. They do they do panic and you're completely right. And one of my things I often push back to coaches is say, Do they have to do this competition? Do they have to do this skill? Can they do something else? It might carry a deduction. But that's and that's and that's where sometimes coaches can catastrophize that because they can't do one skill, they can't do the competition. 
I, I you know, and I know, I know in certain in certain competitions that is potentially the case, you know. But actually, you know, do they do they have to, you know, because you could get to the competition and a gymnast just suddenly not do a skill anyway. You know, they could have been absolutely fine in training, and then you get to the competition day and suddenly they don't do it. You know that, and and then that you 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 take the uh, the cons you carry the consequence there and then, you know. But I think sometimes we do just say, oh well, that's it. If you can't do this skill, you can't do the competition. And I I think and you know they have to have when when coaches say, but she has to have that skill. Like, has to has to. Like can we can we like let's let's just think about it. it. We'd love them to because we know that they've got the capability and we know that it's you know it's a requirement and um. If they don't, that it will carry a heavy deduction, etc. But you know that that's just part of their journey. And I think sometimes if you can, and, and you're totally right. But as coaches, and we talked about it in, in the last podcast, you know we are often judged by how our gymnasts do in competition. So if they then can't do that, we take that as a reflection on ourselves. And I think it, you you are totally right. Coaches quite often will just have that immediate emotional response and and the concern about the implications, but that just makes it 10 times worse. Um so yeah, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here and say you need to be calm and you need to take it with this approach. Um you know, but obviously coaches need to really try and consciously do that because all of the other complex things that are going on in the gym and like you say, where they are in competition can often lead to them having a more frustrated emotional response that just um, makes it worse. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Just on a, a throwing another spin on this, because what I've seen and I know a lot of clubs have seen as well is that once they've got one particular athlete that has picked up some of the symptoms, say, of this, um, it can almost become contagious and even to the extent that a whole group can have it. Yes, so what what's the what's this, what's happening there? You know, I mean, we we know about the power of emotional contagion that that our environment and the people that we spend time with and their behaviours heavily influence us. Um, is that simply what's happening? That um, by spending time with other people that are demonstrating these symptoms, it's it's sometimes somehow you know being picked up on from our own behaviours. Oh yeah, definitely. So you know, it's so one of the things is the the direct vicarious experience. So seeing somebody, um, you know, struggling with a skill and and having an issue. If you if you've never seen that before, you start to think like, oh, why why is that happening? Like, do, do I do that? Is that something that I do? You start to just you start to compare. As soon as you've got a blueprint of something or a template to compare yourself to, we naturally start to do that. We start to look at do I do I do that? Have I ever done that? Oh, you know what? Actually, there's that skill that I I feel like that in you know and and then if they start talking to each other you know they start to create a language about um you know i don't know i just can't go for it i, I, I just won't go for it and you know they it, it starts to actually yeah people people start to adopt that behavior adopt the, that thinking that's going on um if they get to a skill they maybe they're a little bit uneasy about they start to think like oh well maybe you know maybe I should be worried as well you know so I think vicarious experience um and and seeing it and talking to people about it eventually yes it, it, in, in the research it's it's one of the reasons why which is why we need to be careful how we label it we need to be careful how we deal with it because if we deal with it as coaches with this heightened emotional response that leads to um discomfort to a to a gymnast that can then create a fear that other for other gymnasts oh god I don't want to I don't want that to happen to me you know they it, that they can be really worried about that um but you know we and 
and we need to be careful with how we manage it in that kind of first 30 days. Um, I think one of the other things as well, though, um, we need to be careful that if we give it too much attention and there may be a gymnast in your group that don't feel like they get a lot of your attention, you could find that gymnasts use it as a tactic to get more attention from you. It's not only a psychologically complex situation, it's a socially complex situation as well because how you how you manage that and and how you manage it with the gymnast but I think if you started to get a feel for the fact that it was becoming contagious and you hadn't already got psychological intervention there's another reason to get somebody in to to sort that out because yeah that's that's dangerous ground then well it's it's tough because you know let's just stick to facts to say that okay one athlete out of eight um develops these symptoms and it's gone on for a couple of week period as a coach, you're going to be concerned that the others are going to pick it up. So one of your avenues is, of course, to isolate that particular athlete mm. so that the, their behaviours don't affect the the others, which is in in some ways is justified. You know, you don't you don't want the other athletes to to experience that. It's not going to be good for, for anybody. Um, but then in isolating that athlete, you're again, you're, you're almost creating more of a problem. And there's probably going to be emotional trauma involved with doing that as well because it lowers their their feeling of self-worth like i'm not good enough for the group i've got issues i'm yeah. having to be on my own so it's like it's, yeah. it's really complex isn't it as to what you do with that yeah I, I think an isolation is quite possibly the worst thing that we could do but i do i can totally understand why people do it you know this is it you're like what do i do in this situation i've got to manage it i've got to do something and so we think that that is the right thing but you're completely right you know the the impact that it has to the gymnast the impact that it has to the rest of the group as well again they think like oh my god i hope that doesn't happen to me you know and 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 that's not how we should be um treating and you know getting people to con- think about lost move syndrome you know it's a really difficult thing that the gymnasts don't want it to happen to them. And when it does, we need to be empathetic. I think one of the things that I would suggest, and obviously it depends what, what coaches can do, but it's not necessarily about isolating them, but maybe they need to come in for a couple of extra training sessions. Yeah, maybe they need some one-on-one time with you without anybody else knowing that it's happening. And that's their isolation, is they 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 get that little bit extra one-on-one time with you or with a sports psychologist and you. To, to try and, and remedy that. Um, but I think that, that for me, that thing, especially the beam is, beam is a really great example of this because they shouldn't need isolating. Ask them where they feel comfortable doing it and get them to do it there and keep them there. That's then not isolating them. They're still able to, to do it. Can they do something else? You know, do they have to do... Uh, this is the other thing as well, depending on where the gymnast's at in, in their uh, career, you know, do they have to do this skill at all? Can they have a different skill? There are plenty to choose from in the code of points. You know, do we have to have this skill? You know, I think sometimes clubs have skills like we we do this skill. This is our skill that we all do. Everybody does it on B. Can it be a different skill? Uh, but again, that that's dependent on where that gymnast is in in their career. You know, but I would I would avoid isolating them. Um, but I would I would encourage choice and if you have the the ability to bring them in for a couple of extra training sessions to try and give it some direct intervention that's how I would treat that isolation awesome okay Katie look this has been awesome and we've actually we've talked about a lot of different things there so is it possible we could just do like a very quick summary Mm. just to try and wrap it up in terms of the the action points of the most important considerations for coaches 
Yeah, totally. So I think key things are just consider how you react uh, emotionally and how you manage it in the initial. Try not to uh, make a big deal of it and catastrophize it, even if in your head you are really worried. Um, Try not to label it. Um, and try and and try and intervene early with it. In terms of what you need to try and do, try and give that gymnast control again. Try and understand what's going on for them in from the neck up, um, and and make sure that you are not creating um, lost move or blocks by moving gymnasts on too quickly. You know, try uh, consider what the skill is and how important that skill is, and and consider overlearning. Practice, practice, practice refine and consolidate before you try and move on and though we try to decrease the complexity of skills when we're communicating them with gymnasts because we want them to just go for it and be confident try to still remember how difficult just adding a twist onto a somersault actually is um and and you know making sure that you try and uh, get the gymnast to understand the multi-sensory experience of that skill so that you can then start to use other skills like imagery um, during that learning phase but also um, handling stress and pressure at competition um, so those would be my my main ones and, and just you know try try not to create more stress for the gymnast because they really do want to do that skill and they really are upset with themselves and anxious and stressed about it already so you making it more stressful you know will only put fear in them and and, and won't help in the long run Great advice. Thank you very much. That's a, oh, that, that was an action-packed episode. Uh, I'm so glad we did a, a part two. So thank you very much for um, the discussions. Now, I'm sure that there's going to be further questions. Um, is there somewhere or or perhaps there's, there's coaches within the UK that um, are facing some of these challenges? Are you still offering kind of consultancy work? Uh, this is obviously your field. Do you still do that yeah. within the UK? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You know, I think it's this is like I said in that in in the first podcast, you know, I'm a big fan of coaches doing a lot of this stuff themselves. But I think when it comes to something like lost move syndrome and blocks, um, you know, getting getting somebody in as soon as possible is great. So yeah, I I certainly do offer consultancy. Um, You just need to head over to my website, um, you know, which um, or I think you're going to be putting this on social media. So there are lots of different modes of contacting me uh, through that. But you know, any questions, please do get in touch. And what would your website be? Uh, it is Katie Richards, pcs.co.uk. Uh, okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, I'll, I'll add your, obviously, I'll, I'll tag you in the social media post so people can get, get in touch with you via your social channels also. Yeah, fab. Thank you ever so much for having me, Nick. It's always a pleasure talking no to psychology with you. Pleasure's mine. Thank you very much, Katie. Great. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gymnastics Growth Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes or your chosen podcast player, subscribe, leave a review and share the show with your network. See you next time.